particularly on mobile right now, I think we're almost at a crisis level of the creative that we're putting on that and how we're interacting with people on that. That's Greg Lyons. He's the chief marketing officer of PepsiCo, and he's our featured guest on today's episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor, and today's conversation talks all about what Pepsi is doing to be at and stay at the center of pop culture. We also talk about uh, their new and diversifying portfolio, specifically in sparkling waters. We talk about the changing trends and how people are interacting with and engaging with Pepsi across social and across other tactics. We talk about the engagement of people versus consumers, which is where he has a specific point of view. We talk about his views on how we are reaching a mobile crisis in terms of the way people are engaged on mobile. We talk about importance of authenticity to Pepsi, of course, and your typical question like, what are your tips to become a more authentic marketer? You know we have that every single episode. And so I can't wait to share all of those insights with you here and give you a little deeper look into what Pepsi is all about. So for now, I'll step back and let you hear the interview for yourself. This is our conversation with Pepsi's chief marketing officer, Greg Lyons. All right, folks, I'm here with Greg Lyons from Pepsi. So glad to have him on the show today. Greg, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So glad to be talking to you as uh, you've been with Pepsi for a little while now and having ascended to the role of CMO about two years ago, have certainly uh, overseen a lot of the transformation, a lot of different things going on around the business today, and we're going to dive into all that during the show, but would love to just get us kicked off with a little foundational uh, aspect of your background, how you got to this moment. My goodness. I so happy to share. Uh, in September, I'll have been at Pepsi for 20 years, which I can't believe. Uh, it's been quite a ride. I guess uh, I started out um, after college. I went into marketing consulting for a few years, uh, then back to business school at Kellogg, and then with, with PepsiCo ever since. I uh, worked in Dallas at the Frito-Lay office for eight or nine years, worked in the UK for four years. Both of those on the snack side of the business. Then I moved to beverages. I was the CMO of Canada Pepsi for uh, a couple of years and then been part of the U.S. Uh, team for the last five plus years. All right. So you have been all over the place. You've seen all different aspects of the business. And now uh, here you are uh, overseeing the whole shebang with regard to uh, with regard to the North America beverage division. And um I want to I want to start off by uh, jumping into. I, obviously, you have a very wide purview then when it comes to uh, how Pepsi has worked over the years, and I know that there has been a specific focus recently over the last uh, probably one or two years, but you can be more illustrative than I on this point about uh, fitting into uh, pop culture or being the center of culture. We've heard that on some previous interviews, and so I just love to hear uh, your take on how you get Pepsi closer to the center of culture, just basically the relationship between the brand and that notion. Sure. When we look back at when Pepsi's been at its best over its history, it's truly and authentically been part of pop culture, um, probably starting with uh, Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, Ray Charles, I have Pepsi, all of those wonderful uh, pieces of content that we can remember. Um, and I think when we're at our best recently has been probably the Super Bowl is the culmination of pop culture. It's uh, and the halftime show specifically, it's where music and sports uh, 
uh, have their biggest show of the year. And so we've been doing the Pepsi halftime show for years now. Uh, this last year, we had a lot of fun because the Super Bowl was in Atlanta. And we know that's Coke's headquarters. And we liked uh, Pepsi's also at its best when it's a challenger brand. And so we had a lot of fun in Atlanta this year. We uh, rented out pretty much every billboard in the city and um, had some fun signs uh, there celebrating how great uh, Pepsi is and that it was refreshing that we were in Atlanta. And uh, it really, I felt, put Coke a little bit on its back foot there. Um, we did something called a cola truce, which for a day we put a statue of our founder next to their founder at the World of Coke and encouraged people to take a picture with both Coke and Pepsi. And uh, we got a lot of buzz around that. And then, um, you know, every year the halftime show uh, is awesome. We um, led into the halftime show with a real interesting insight this year. Um, our 30-second ad was about a truth that is a little bit uncomfortable for us, um, but it's true. And we wanted to, to base our, our message off something that consumers can relate to. And so um, lots of times when you go into a restaurant, what people order by default is a Coke. Um, and we wanted to reinforce um, how amazing Pepsi is and how many people love Pepsi. And so the insight is sometimes the waiter, the waitress almost apologizes and says, is Pepsi okay if they serve Pepsi? And we all know, especially, you know, the tens of millions of consumers who enjoy Pepsi every day, that Pepsi is more than okay. Um, it's awesome. And so that was the, the basis. That was the insight that led to our, our campaign with Steve Carell and Cardi B and Little John um, that we celebrated um, and led into the halftime show. So we just wanted to make sure that we're always part of culture. Uh, so we, we like being part of big moments in culture, but we do it in a Pepsi way that's uh, linked to a real consumer authentic insight. Yeah, I thought that was a really, I thought that was a fun twist on the commercial to the the inversion of is Pepsi okay? No, it's more than okay. Of course, you know we you hear that all the time, and in some parts of the of the country, it's crazy. But I've I've heard it, it where I'm from on the East Coast, it doesn't happen so much. But when you refer to a soft drink, so I've always referred to it as like a soda. Or some people refer to it as a pop in the Midwest. Yeah, you got it. And out there, some people refer to it as just a Coke. So right. I think that's been ingrained some places, and that was a nice that was a nice way to uh, to subvert that just just a little bit. And obviously having those stars in there is always going to add a flair. Um, I, to staying on this point, because, you know, there was a lot of, um, a lot of that sort of big time media. And, you know, of course, people have opinions on all sorts of things, including uh, the halftime show and other campaigns like that. With, with the changes in just sort of media today, and perhaps uh, the the uprising of social people, you know, any any sort of keyboard commando anywhere can say anything they want. How does that shift or adapt the strategy that you have when you talk about the value you place on that like big media strategy as a part of the whole? Uh, I imagine that you know that's very important to be at the center of culture through those traditional media's, but there's also the realization that the center of culture is 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 uh, subject to change, especially when you think about online and digital landscapes and social in particular. So how has the rise of that 
adapted your strategy towards these big campaigns? Well, if you're part of the center of culture and you don't have a whole holistic plan of how you're going to maximize that on social and digital, then you know, you're missing the boat. Uh, so that's a little bit was different. Gosh, when I started and it was about getting a very simple message in a 30 second spot, obviously that's not the case anymore. Um, where we're going and where I'm getting the right message to the right person at the right time um, and, you know, personalizing it. But again, uh, we're part of some uh, something that people want to talk about, um, something that's either going on in culture or we uh, a piece of content that people will gravitate to and then want to share and, and discuss and talk about. And so uh, there have been a fair amount of brands that have moved away from big tentpole moments like the Super Bowl. Uh, and just gone to digital and social. Uh, we we don't think that's right for our high penetration big brand. We like having visibility. Both it, it helps us. There's so there's a multiplier effect for us at PepsiCo. We've got um, not only the beverages but the snacks. You you notice that Doritos is usually on the Super Bowl as well. Right. That's and right. And so when we tell our customers like a Walmart or a Kroger. Uh, that we're going to be on the Super Bowl, uh, that helps us get up big displays in store. So that helps give our brand some visibility in the store. It helps us promote our snacks and our beverages together. And it also encourages uh, people, consumers, to be uh, thinking and talking about our brand and an occasion where it makes sense for them to be eating and drinking. Um, of course, we need to make sure that... Um, we're part of that social conversation. And so we have a whole team that, um, you know, is a mission control around uh, all these moments to make sure we maximize them, um, maximize the conversation digital when we do those big temples. And obviously, we measure everything um, that we do in marketing, like most uh, companies do these days with all the technology out there. We're getting better at that. But all of the data says with all the PR you get, all of the customer love that you get, we also have, we're direct store delivery. So we have a huge uh, sales team that drives trucks and delivers the product in the store. It gets them fired up. Um, then you're part of the consumer conversation. That's why the Super Bowl and those big moments pay out so well for us. Well, it's great to hear about that that strategy and how it uh, how it diversifies, but also how you are firing up these people. I want to ask something a little bit different because you asked you you mentioned before, uh, you know, you're doing your best when you are acting sort of from behind as a challenger brand. But I know that you know Pepsi's been performing incredibly well, especially in the eyes of investors, doing really great on Wall Street. You know, third year in a row of of outperforming some of your competitors. There, you beat estimates, you hit new highs after this quarter's report. And a lot of that is due to beverage innovation. Obviously, we've seen sparkling water and those sorts of beverages become really uh, hot this year. Do you uh, sense a difference in sort of the type of ways in which consumers of those beverages engage with your media as opposed to those bigger brands with more entrenched traditional tactics? Hmm. Hey, that's a real good question. Uh, I do think that smaller brands... uh, engage with media a little bit differently than bigger high penetration brands because because you get so many eyeballs 
so many people are, it, it drives them top of mind awareness and people are familiar with the brand and it just drives either some situational salience or it, it just, it's the most efficient way to get as many eyeballs for people who uh, understand what the proposition's about already um, and keeps it top of mind. And so we see our, our ROI on TV and our big brands much, much more, much higher than those on our new smaller brands because we're doing the job of trying to educate at the same time uh, there. And there are people who are less familiar um, with what your brand is. You're raising awareness, but um, you're, uh, it's, it's more difficult to translate that into purchase uh, with just a quick message there. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit different. Our bigger brands, probably a little bit more TV heavy. Our smaller brands, a little bit more digital heavy. But we spend so much more on our big brands that we probably spend more in digital on our big brands than we, we do on some of our new and smaller brands, if that makes sense. That said, um, we are moving, as I said before, towards more personalized messaging on all of our brands and more digital on all of our brands um, as the marketing technology evolves and the targeting, um, the premium you pay for targeting as well. Well, it's interesting to know about these uh, differentiated tactics for different people. And of course, you have to do that across a diversified portfolio. It can get quite complex, and I'm sure there's plenty of data coming in there. But as this now global brand, very established, all sorts of different people liking all sorts of different things, what's your strategy for continuing to build that that individual and personal engagement? Because I'm sure having all of this new information is great, but you want to leverage it in the right way. And from what I think... People have different views on how to leverage that data and how to treat consumers or obviously people, as you like to call them. I know that's crazy. I'm even saying that, but calling them people is what you should do. And I know that you do that. So I'd love to know your thoughts on building that personal engagement, despite the global diversified portfolio that you hold. Yeah, it's a major capability agenda that we are in the process of building here. And it's two things. First, if you do not use all of the science and the data that is making marketing so exciting and evolving marketing every day, uh, you're, you're going to miss out. And so we are leaning in heavy to building our first party data. We've got over 60 million names right now in uh, our database that we can personalize messages to. We are getting much better at measuring how effective our media and our uh, marketing investments are. We used to measure our media once or twice a year with marketing mix. Now we're building the capability to be able to measure it and adjust it in real time. And we're starting to get better at dynamic creative, which is getting the different message to a different person, depending on what's going to be most relevant and effective against each individualized person. That being said, as the technology is evolving and as we have all this data and we're making this data a priority, we run the real risk of not developing authentic relationships with the people who love our brands and our products. And what can happen is you start to treat people and data as transactions and what the best brands do and the brands that are going to win in the future 
need to leverage this data, but treat people um, as you would want to be treated as a person as part of a relationship. And so not only are we leveraging all this data, but we're also investing a great deal of time and energy of understanding people at a human level uh, and developing real empathy for the most valuable people who drink and enjoy our beverages and our brands. Um, and we have a program um, that we call Humanize, where every single marketer in our department, so you know, over 500 marketers are spending time every week uh, just getting to know people who drink their brands, uh, and ideally people that are not like them at all, uh, people who live in different parts of the country who have different values. We're just trying to understand what's important in these people's lives, how our brands fit into their lives, what brands they're most loyal to and why, and just develop some gut and, um, you know, understand them at a human level. And I think when you combine the data that we have and all the MarTech that we have with that real deep empathy for consumers uh, of your product that we call people, um, then you're going to win in the future. And I think our marketing has been getting better and more effective and our brands have been getting stronger because of that deep consumer understanding combined with all the, the data that we're mining. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you are able to see that there are equal benefits or let's say commensurate benefits between having a lot of data and building a lot of those relationships. And I know that you gave a position on this in a speech uh, with the Mobile Marketing Association and um I'm just curious as to why there, why do you actually perceive that there is a, such a dichotomy here? I mean, why do people not treat both of these things as, as equally powerful? Well, I think there, it's interesting. Everyone's in a different place on this journey. Um, and there are some companies that are uh, still way behind in the MarTech and the data uh part of the equation. And so uh, they're holding on to it's all about empathy and it's all about building, um, you know, doing great TV advertising. So that's that's marketing of the past. You're going to have to move uh, past that. And then there are the tech companies. Uh, so when I was at this MMA event, which was gr a great event, there were the tech companies that were just all about the data. Um, and especially on mobile right now, I think we're almost at a crisis level of the creative that we're putting on that and how we're interacting with people on that. Um, it, it feels very transactional to me. Um, and I think that's dangerous. If we start leaning more and more into the tech and don't really care about um, making people feel something uh, when they see our brands, and it's all transactional. I think in the long run, you're going to lose that emotional connection, lose that authentic relationship that our brands have with with, uh, with people. And um, I think the tech companies there um, are in danger of that, um, and some of the tech companies, not all of them, clearly. And so we just had a real interesting conversation of um, uh, with people on different sides of the fence on what's more important, building that emotional connection or getting that transaction. And I think the answer is you got to do both. 
I would agree. Of course, this is something that listeners will know well. You know, we we are all about how to build these relationships. Of course, the premise being that everyday people, consumers, people who are on their mobiles all day, are any brand's most authentic influencers. So that's a great. Uh, it's a great point about the mobile, like almost crisis level with regard to creative. I'm a big fan of moving away from transactional. Personally, I think people who will win in the long run who don't do that. Good. You and I are on the same page. Let me you know, let me give you a illustrative example to bring that to light. Okay. If that's okay. Um, we've we've got this new sparkling water brand uh, called Bubbly, uh, and Bubbly's been a home run for us. It's doing incredibly well. We know that um, there's a message that's more effective for people who are, you know, drinking a diet cola right now that are transitioning and are thinking about, gosh, maybe I shouldn't be drinking this diet cola. Maybe I want something a little bit uh, healthier. We know that there's a different message to get them to try bubbly versus a sparkling water drinker who is drinking another brand. Um, the the diet uh, soda drinker, you want to talk about artificial sweeteners, zero calories, et cetera, uh, even no caffeine. The competitive sparkling water, you want to talk about the flavor variety and the bubbles and all this stuff. If you only talk in those two rational, and so one's more effective to one group, one's more effective to the other one, we can target the groups, that's great. But if you don't have that overarching uh, thing that makes you smile when you see a bubbly uh, piece of content, you're going to lose in the long run. You got to do both. Like they both have to make you smile. The way that you tell that rational message has to be linked in a way that people are getting some utility out of seeing it, not just some information. And uh, again, the, I think we've done it probably best recently with Bubbly of doing it in a way that makes people feel great about the brand. They just emotionally are attached to this brand, and then they figure out that it's got no artificial sweeteners or, or the best flavors out there for a sparkling water. That do both. That is uh, critical. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, we know Bubbly is doing very, very well. And, and as we mentioned earlier, a big reason why uh, you guys are at all-time highs right now and doing incredibly well year over year. So with all this in mind, I have two questions. One is, uh, I think one's subjective and one's objective. And the second one's going to be about advice. But I'm going to start with this first one. I actually don't know if I've asked this super often, but you guys are doing great things um, internally when it comes to mixing the data and building relationships and, um, you know, finding all these great ways to bring a smile to the face of your consumers. If you had to, it's incredibly broad, but if you had to give Pepsi an authenticity score, let's say, where zero is, you know, maybe what you were talking about with some of these, oh, we only like data and we're treating people transactional being a zero and 10 being uh, we are, you know, completely we are completely on the, the on the relationship side. We're using data well, um, and you know we are we are truly you know funneling these consumer experiences uh, and using that to better ourselves and better the way we market. Where I mean, where would you put Pepsi on that scale right now? With the with the recognition that I'm sure that there's always places to grow. I'm just I'm curious of that. Do you have thoughts there? When you're in marketing, you can never be at 10 because it's constantly evolving. That's why I love it so much. Oh, my gosh. it's uh, I've been in marketing my whole career. And um, I, I'd give us, you know, if I were going to be generous, I'd give us an eight 
striving for 10. Uh, we are, we're um, never going to have it completely cracked, but I do feel that um, the people on each of these brand teams genuinely uh, are embracing the, the data and the technology and using it as well as uh, authentically understanding their consumers at a human level. And then we um, we try some things. We're always trying new things, uh, new technologies, new ways to reach consumers. Um, and I, I think we're we're getting better at it. One thing that we're working on right now is how do you build loyalty at a local level? Um, and so we've just reorganized a little bit. And now we've got four mini marketing departments and four uh, divisions. And so there's a division CMO with a marketing department in four different parts of the country. And so uh, as I get um, more and more experience and see more and more things, the brands that I think really can connect and build that relationship do so at a local level um, and can you know, figure out what is incredibly specific about living in Detroit right now and how are people feeling in Detroit and how can Pepsi tap into that um, is um, even more powerful if it's augmenting the national message. And so we're getting better at that local marketing um, and, and going to be investing more in that as well. So eight on the way to, on the way to 10, I would say, seven or eight. All right. Well, good Good to know. And last question for you, and it's going to relate exactly to what you just said there, but we always like to have advice for our listeners here, many of whom are marketers or students of the craft. And if you are you know, a, anywhere from a sole proprietor up to a Fortune 500 or 100 player, and you're just looking to start this path to getting more authentic and maybe getting more local, I mean, what should people be thinking about or what should they start to do as an initial piece of advice from you, given the fact that you've been on this journey yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'll go back to uh, moving from consumer, calling them consumers to to really thinking them as people. Um, and so one of the things that we've done is um, we've tried to figure out how we're going to be awesome to people internally as well, to each other. Um, as as opposed to only focusing externally in our consumers. And so we're trying to build a culture here at Pepsi where um, we make people feel valued. And um, there's just little things that we can do. Just like on Mountain Dew, there's we, we send the people who love our brand the, the most, who are engaged the most, we send them the innovation a little bit ahead of time. It makes them feel special. It makes them feel part of a club of like, oh, my gosh, this is coming out, and I'm the first one who's, who's got it. Or we'll send them little just uh, care packages to make them smile with some do swag. Um, same thing here. When we have our awards uh, show at the end of the year and we're celebrating people who have either great leadership or have done something amazing on the business, we don't just, um, you know, it's not just me standing up there shaking their hand, giving them uh, a trophy uh, or a plaque. We get, um, we don't tell them, but we contact their parents and their uh, spouse and their best friend and like they all give them these great messages that we play in front of the whole department 
So we're trying to authentically make people feel valued here as well. And so if you can just be a human being and remember what that's like, um, and then you're going to start to build really authentic relationships. And the ones, the brands that develop the most authentic relationships are the ones that's going to develop the deepest loyalty. And then once you get that passionate fan group that is loyal to your brand, they do the marketing as much as uh, you do it. Um, and there's no stopping you then. So I guess if I'm going to sum up the advice, put people first and remember um, what it's like to build authentic relationships. Start with your friends and your coworkers, and then you become better at it when you're running a brand. Start inward, then turn outward, focusing on relationships all the time. Folks, I hope you take that uh, advice to heart. And for God's sake, go buy yourself a bubbly. Greg Lyons, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Adam, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Greg Lyons for joining our podcast today. It was great to hear about all the new things going on at Pepsi and your specific views on people versus consumers and that mobile crisis. I thought that was really interesting. And to make a quick note to what I said towards the end of that interview, I need to include myself in the list of people who need to go try bubbly. Guilty, I haven't tried it yet. If you liked this episode, you want to hear more content like this, feel free to subscribe to Authentic Influence wherever you listen. But there's also another number of ways that you can contact us or engage with us. We have a website, podcast.vavoom.co. We're on LinkedIn at Authentic Influence Podcast. You can hit me up personally, adam.connor at govavoom.com on LinkedIn at Adam Connor. So many ways. Would love to hear your thoughts, suggestions, tips on what we should do next and maybe what we should stop doing if there's things that you don't like. I love that feedback as well. But for now, we'll be back in a few weeks' time with another conversation about how a top brand is becoming more authentic by properly mobilizing its masses and people like Greg Lyons to help tell the tale. But for now, I've been Adam Connor, and for Authentic Influence, you'll hear from me again next time.